Just when it seemed we could finally relax a bit, the latest surge of the Delta variant raises all too familiar questions about the COVID pandemic. When is it safe to go out of the house or go shopping? How risky is that family gathering or a party? With so many options to choose from, so many choices to make, how do we make our decisions? You might think you know, but it's likely you're influenced by factors you're not aware of. Today, we'll hear what's been discovered by Associate Professor Stephen Spiller at UCLA's Anderson School of Management and two other researchers. It comes with a warning. Decisions about risk and safety can be affected, not just by information, but about the way the information is presented. I'm Warren Olney, and this is How the World Works, a podcast from the UCLA's Anderson School. Professor Spiller is with us, and welcome aboard. Thanks so much. It's uh, good to be with you, Warren. Good to have you. When you talk about the way information about COVID is presented, you say that stocks and flows can shift judgments and behavioral intentions. What are stocks and flows? So I think the easiest way to think about these is through an example. So if you think about a bathtub, you can think about the amount of water in the bathtub and water's flowing in, the bathtub fills up and water flows out. And so you have the inflow turn on the faucet, you have the outflow, water going out the drain, and you have the stock of water in the bathtub. And so as the inflow increases, the level of the water rises, as the drain opens up, the water decreases. And so that's what we think about when we think about stocks and flows in the system, you can think about water in a bathtub. Same principles apply to, say, money in your bank account, or inventory in a warehouse, or carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. All of these cases, you have something going into the system, something going out of the system, and the amount of that thing that's in the system. So the, the ins and outs are the flows, and the amount that's in there is the stock. Okay. So how does that apply then to information about COVID? Yeah. So over the past uh, 18 months plus now, we see a lot of different ways that data about COVID infections have been presented to us. And so we see this in terms of the number of new daily cases, as well as the number of total cases that people have been infected over time. And so the number of new cases is the flow into the total number of cases. So we have a flow in terms of the number of new cases, people being infected, and the stock, the total cumulative number of cases over time. We focused on cases, but you can think about these same principles as applying to the current number of active cases in a region or the number of hospitalizations. The same general principles apply. So even though there's lots of different ways of describing the data and describing the breadth and spread of COVID, the stocks and flows apply either way. Exactly. So, you know, we can take the exact same data and present it in different ways. You might see it in terms of how many new cases there were today as a flow or the number of cumulative cases that there have been over time up to and including today as the stock. And so that may apply for if we're looking at cases or hospitalizations, or active cases. But in each case, those same data may be presented to us as new cases or total cases. So it's not that the data are all that different. It's the way that they are 
presented. So how does that affect judgments and behavioral intentions, as you say in your paper? It turns out that people are highly sensitive to the ways in which data are presented, even holding the actual data exactly the same. So if you imagine, hopefully in a few weeks from now, when cases begin to decline again within a region from uh, uh, from the Delta variant, in that case, the total number of cases will still be increasing, but the number of new cases will be decreasing. And so what we find is that when people are looking at the number of new cases decreasing, that looks like that's a good thing. We have fewer new cases coming about. That feels positive. That feels less risky. And so we judge there to be less risk around us. And we feel a little more comfortable going about our daily lives. On the other hand, if we're looking at the total number of cases, that number continues to rise. It may rise at a slower rate, but it continues to increase. And so we still feel a little bit more risk out there and are a little bit more hesitant going about our daily lives. So obviously then, depending on one or the other, uh, you might make different decisions about what you're going to do. Absolutely. I want to be clear that there are many, many factors that enter into these decisions. So we don't intend to say that this is the only factor driving this. But on the margin, you do expect to see that, you know, when we're looking at these downward trends in something like number of infections, seems like a good thing, a little bit more comfortable dining indoors or going shopping. If we see those cumulative cases, infections going up, makes us a little bit more hesitant about doing some of those activities in big crowds. Does this impose obligations of a kind on the people who are releasing the information in the first place? We think that it does impose an obligation on how we discuss those data. There's not a neutral way to present these data. Any presentation of the data is a choice. And those choices, even if they're all accurate portrayals of the data, all have consequences for how people react to them. And so it's important to be mindful of the ways in which we talk about the numbers, because the ways in which we talk about those numbers, even if they're all accurate, can still affect the reactions that people have. This is, I think, one example of it, not the only one, but one case in which we see this come through. So elaborate a little bit. Give us some examples of what you mean in terms of uh, different ways of presenting it. And who's doing the presentation, too, is also important, it seems to me. Does it come from some government institution? Is it then, of course, transmitted by the media? And if so, which media? Absolutely. So we see these graphs sort of inundating our daily lives from all sorts of sources. We see them from all levels of government, federal, state, local. We see them from our video media. We see them from our print media. We see them on social media, some of which may have more or less reputable sources than others. And so there are at least a couple of different ways in which this really matters. One way is that as we as consumers of media see these graphs or see these plots, they affect the kinds of reactions that we have and maybe the behaviors that we make as a result. That imposes a responsibility on those who are putting these charts out there. And you can think about this responsibility both in terms of an accuracy 
Motivation, wanting to make sure that everyone understands what the true state of the world is, what the true risk environment is. But it can also involve a rhetorical element to it. So when we're trying to construct an argument, we may choose one graph over another in order to persuade someone of the case we're trying to make. The issues involving mask wearing in particular, and of course vaccination as well, have become extremely political. Is that a factor then? And is that important to realize when you're looking at the issues that you are raising about the basic nature of the way in which the information is presented in terms of stocks and flows? It certainly seems as though because the ways in which people react to the way that the data are presented changes how they see the risk, Different political actors may be choosing to present the same information in different ways to obtain those political objectives. A governor might decide to portray the results in terms of that increasing stock to ensure that people don't get a sense of false security and perhaps maintain vigilance and maintain masks. On the other hand, you can imagine that another governor who's seeking to reassure people and, and getting business back to normal may be seeking instead to decrease that perceived risk and really emphasizing the decreasing flow instead, even though those both reflect the same actual data. In your paper, you say, the data can be presented in different ways and unscrupulous actors can create visualizations that can be deliberately misleading. Now, that suggests that we are all subject to the possibility of being manipulated. Yes, unfortunately, I think, I think that's true. This is a paper that we've been working on with Nick Reinholtz at University of Colorado and Sam Malio at University of Toronto. I think that there are a couple of approaches that we can take to try to address that concern because we see these data inundating us from all sides and we don't always have the opportunity to go and vet the raw data back to the original source from the get-go. And so you can think about always reinforcing the importance of evaluating the source of the information and comparing across reputable sources. And so this can occur both with respect to the same data across our different media sources. Are they all being consistent with one another or is there one outlier? And if there's one outlier, why are they an outlier? It might be because they have a different objective that they're trying to accomplish. Maybe they're just targeting a different region where the environment truly is different at that time, or they're trying to obtain some political objective. And so understanding the motives behind who is presenting the data to us is going to be important for making sense of it. A second wrinkle on that is that oftentimes we have the option of seeing the data displayed in different ways. There may be one that's displayed by default, and then there may be, you know, scroll down to see more or click on another tab, and you can get another view of those same data. And getting multiple perspectives on the same data can help to round out our understanding and lead to a more complete understanding of, of where things stand. So you don't think that leads to yet more confusion? So it's a balance. And I would say that the potential for confusion is likely to be emphasized when we're getting inconsistent numbers 
in ways that are difficult to compare. When that comparison is made easier, so examples of when you're on New York Times website and able to switch back and forth between two different views of the data, but they hold the time span constant, for example. That may make it possible for trends that were hidden before to jump out at us. And before, you know, looking at the cumulative cases, it was difficult to see where the, the peaks were. But then if we switch over to look at the new cases, those peaks really come into focus. This puts a lot of responsibility on the consumer of information to look at this with a critical eye and an analytical point of view before making a decision. Of course, it's a very important decision. It does. And it's a lot of pressure on people when they have to make sense of the world around them. On the one hand, I don't know that there is a easy solution to that problem. There are always going to be multiple sources with multiple objectives trying to convince us of different things. For the gold standard reputable sources, sources that have a important reputation to maintain, so key government agencies, long-standing trusted media, those are often sources that people turn to when there is a source of confusion. And so in those cases, being able to recognize what's the key message and what sorts of data might be detracting from that key message are important. We see some of this recently outside of the stocks and flows context, but in terms of vaccinations, where sometimes you see emphases on just how many cases have broken through rather than emphasis on just how effective the vaccines are. Both of those types of presentation may be accurate, but one, despite being accurate, gives people a misleading sense, whereas the information about how effective vaccines are is both accurate and gives people the right sense of the benefits conferred by vaccines. So it's a different sort of data presentation issue, but it comes back down to the same underlying principle of the same data can be presented in different ways that give people different feelings or senses or gut reactions to those data. And because of that, it's important to be mindful of which pieces of data we choose to emphasize. When you talk about the gold standard uh, reputable sources, particularly with regard to the media, I've been in television, I've been in radio, I've been in print, and uh, I, I wonder uh, what your assessment is of how well all of those institutions are doing at the moment. It seems to me there's an enormous amount of confusion. And I think in part, uh, not everybody is really uh, paying attention to the kinds of distinctions that you are making and the kinds of things that uh, people ought to know, but uh, perhaps are getting confused about. Yeah, it's definitely the case that we see mixed messages that are out there. We see cases where messages get muddled through difficulty working with numbers or interpreting what these numbers mean, sometimes getting confusion between stocks and flows. And this is a common problem. Research on what's known as the stock flow failure shows that you know even really, really smart, incentivized people thinking hard about problems, trying to convert from the number of cases coming in or an inflow to the cumulative number of cases 
or the stock have a lot of difficulty doing so. And so when we're thinking about recognizing where these concerns be, there are people involved at all stages of the process. And just because they are part of a new source doesn't necessarily make them immune to these problems. But there are cases where we want to see, hopefully have knowledgeable experts who have enough domain knowledge that they can make these distinctions and communicate them effectively. I think that part of the difficulty is that the concepts are just plain hard sometimes. In part, there are mixed messages, but in part, they're just hard concepts that involve nuance. And those aren't always conducive to a quick headline, but instead do necessitate getting into the data and seeing how different pieces relate to one another. And when you say that unscrupulous actors can be deliberately misleading, it also seems to me that there are other kinds of issues. For example, uh, people may be devoted to one conspiracy theory or another, and whatever the motivation may be, we are all vulnerable to these things, it seems to me, given the way that the information is presented, even though the information itself may be perfectly sound. Yes. One of the key principles of how we go about the world around us is we take new information in and we match it up with what we already know. And what we already know may sometimes include things that aren't true. It may include conspiracy theories, or it may include other misconceptions about the world. And so when we're engaging in this sense-making process, we try to match it up. And so unfortunately, this is a concern that can come up sometimes, which is if everything that I've learned has told me, in this case, wrongly, that it's all a fraud, it's all a hoax, something like that. Then when I see these new data, instead of these data overturning my preconceptions, my preconceptions may ultimately overturn those data instead. And so there's this long-term dynamic between what we currently know, the incoming information, and how those two pieces interact with one another and change each other. Because of that, there's no single magic bullet. None of this will be able to single-handedly address those sorts of misconceptions or conspiracy theories that lead people to those mistaken inferences. And because of that, for people who already hold those sets of beliefs, those unscrupulous actors may be able to take the data, even without lying, spin it in a particular way, present it in a particular way. And if that way aligns more closely with what people already believe, then it may be the data point that they glom onto and hang onto and remember moving forward. So what's your advice to a consumer? I think it's twofold. I think one is based around considering the source. And if we think about the knowledgeable experts in the field, they're not always perfect. Sometimes they get it wrong, but in general, when they do, they'll correct, they'll adjust, they'll work to get the better information out there. And so there's certainly cases in which information communication from the CDC might be able to send a more consistent message, but in general, they have better data than individual consumers do. And so this is a case where 
it does seem trying to incorporate all the complexities of the data around us, we're not always in the best position to do so. I know that I'm certainly not in, in the best position to do so. And so I try to rely on the, on the experts. The second is when we do try to make sense of the data, try to see it from multiple angles. And this is one where not just sort of looking at, oh, that's pointing up, that's bad, or that's pointing down, that's good, as we might get an initial sense from sort of a quick skim of the data, but instead thinking about it, toggling between different views, trying to get a holistic sense of how things are changing. And some appraisals make it look like things are getting better. Some make it look like things are getting worse. And those may just be two sides of the same coin. It may be that both of those are happening simultaneously and taking time with it can give us a richer perspective. Now, we can't do that for everything that we're facing uncertainty about in the world. And this is one reason why we, we turn to other sources. And so these two approaches, relying on the CDC, every once in a while, there are messages that change over time, adapt to the conditions, but I know that they will be able to do a better job, likely, than me in terms of assessing all of the information together to come to a overall conclusion without missing something. Government agencies, federal, state, and local, have data sets that are available to everybody. When you go to the news media, they summarize, they make judgments, they make calls about exactly how they should present the data. Is it safer? Is it a better idea to go to those original sources and to make this hidden for yourself? This is a case where I'd say the, the same answer doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. I think that there are going to be a couple of cases. In one, some of us may not enjoy the process of sorting through everything and needing to come to a judgment on our own. And this is complicated. It's not easy to look at the raw data and understand exactly what's going on. There's a reason for analysts out there for people to integrate who know what they're doing with these data. Our difficulty in those cases is identifying the people who know what they're doing. And this is where looking for signals like referencing where they're getting their data, understanding if they do make a mistake, do they correct for it? Looking for consistency across different experts. And so there are definitely benefits to getting the integrated version because sometimes the dashboard is just plain too much. On the other hand, there are also going to be other people who love getting into the nitty gritty of the data. And for those of us, I know I love getting into the nitty gritty of the data. Being able to go beyond the top line headline is helpful to better get a fuller understanding. Now, I may not know the best way to integrate it. And so I still want that expert assessment. You know, I'm someone who knows data, generally speaking, but I don't know the ins and outs of epidemiology. I want to be able to see the data and then rely on the expert voices in the room to understand how I get from the data to the conclusion. Now, there are going to be some times when, as I'm exploring the dashboard, it raises new questions, and I want to be able to get a better understanding of that. But I don't think that there's a single answer for everyone in terms of go straight to the dashboard or go straight to the analyst. 
I think that oftentimes there's a bit of iteration between the two. And for some people that falls more on the analyst side. And for some people that falls more on the dashboard side. And of course, as you indicated before, if you're devoted to a conspiracy already, it's not going to make any difference what you do. So this is an ongoing difficulty and problem. And right now, I don't know if there is a best solution from that standpoint. I think that one thing that we we are seeing is when individuals have sort of a siloed set of sources that may be reinforcing some of this misinformation or some of these conspiracy theories, oftentimes that's not their entire network, right? We may have friends or family who hold those beliefs. And we are seeing cases where those one-on-one conversations about vaccines these days as one key example can sometimes introduce a little bit new nugget of information there that get something new and and maybe just enough to sort of take one more look at how this information fits together. I would say that this continues to be an ongoing problem from my understanding. We don't have a simple solution, but that's one way in, even for individuals who don't trust the government, don't trust the media and the media that they do consume, maybe reinforcing some of these misconceptions or misinformation, oftentimes others in their personal network may be able to have a conversation and introduce some new nuggets there that may be able to just start to shift the view a bit. It's very useful to hear this kind of discussion about how we make our decisions, uh, how easily our minds can be changed one way or another, how vulnerable we are to misinformation. So I want to thank you very much for uh, helping us out with it and being with us today. Thanks so much, Warren. It was, uh, it was my pleasure. Professor Stephen Spiller, UCLA's Anderson School of Management. This has been How the World Works. I'm Warren Alney. Join us again.